But anyway, let's let's let's. I just wanted to bring that up because I know, I know. Worked during the same era I did, and the frustrations of not having a photo say because when you want to get someone ID'd, uh, you have to make what's called a photo array. Correct. Yes. And for our audience, it's the um, photo of the subject and five other photos. Correct. And yes. they have to be sort of wearing the same thing. There can't be any blurry right. things in the background. That yeah, not every, you know, if, it, if you got if your subject had a, a beard, everybody had to have a beard. Right. You know, it had to be the sort of the same skin tone, same you know, as close as you can get, hair wise, age wise, and stuff like that. So it's almost like when being in Rip, you had to have be pretty good at arts and crafts. Oh yeah, you, you know, did Miss Miller's you know. Uh, <laughs> You know, getting the white out, the cover, whatever it is, you know. Right, you had to know how to do all that stuff, right? Yeah, I know. But or draw an earring on everyone, you know. Yes. Okay. Yeah. The subject has I remember one time I actually did a live lineup and I just painted a mustache yeah. on, on these guys with one of those scripto pens. And mm. it actually worked. Yeah. If you're standing back from the you know, the glass, right, right. It looked, it looked, it looked like a real mustache. I was like, wow. Yeah. You know. All good stuff, yeah. Yeah, all great stuff. So tell us now, how did RIP, the Robbery Investigation Program, and anti-crime interact in the 6-7? Well, we, we were like, you know, they were like uh, the guys in the squad we really, uh, you know, uh, were in contact with. Uh, I mean, they had asked, you know, if we had, if they had a nickname, you know, we would ask them, you know, they would ask us, you know, hey, you know, this guy from, you know, uh, 9-3 in Rutland, you know, you ever hear this guy, this, that, and the other thing. Um, and they would tell us, you know, who, who's wanted, who's doing stick ups, what, what do they hear on the street? And it was just a constant, you know, communication back and forth between us and them uh, to let us know, to let each other know what was happening. Right. And you know what? Everybody wanted to go to Rip and Anti Crime. That was the other yeah. thing. I mean, that was, I mean, also the fact that a precinct commander could promote from, well, from patrol into anti crime, right. and from anti crime into Rip gave him a huge power and you know every because right. everyone wanted it you yeah. wanted to impress your precinct co right oh yeah yeah and yes it sort, of, it sort of made you behave yes it did it did you know right. but it was a great program i said anti-crime you know was it was great and uh i'd say rip was even better but um, anti-crime is where you know you make that jump you know you make the jump from patrol um to the plain clothes and you take it, take off from there, you know, which, which happened to me. I, I really took off when I went, when I got to anti-crime and, and things were, you know, things went great for me after that. And how was, uh, would you have get a team with six cops and a sergeant? Um, yeah, it was, I think we had either five or six guys. And you um, alternated four to one, 10 to six. Right. I mean, that was another great thing. No rocking around the, you know, the clock. It was, uh, you know, either Friday, Saturday, or Sunday, Monday off, and you work days and nights. And you still got chart days back then. And you got chart days. Yeah. So add that to your vacation days, you know, it was another 18 days off a year. But you know something, people don't understand what a cop's life is like. And sometimes you have to take a day off, burn a day off, just because you're exhausted. Yeah. Right? And right. people don't understand, well, what do you mean? What do you mean? Well, I worked 36 hours straight. Yeah, you know, oh, 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 like they don't understand that you know, mm -hmm. a teacher, 
or someone working on Wall Street that you worked 37 no, no, I mean, you know what? It happened a lot to us, you know, because the precinct was so busy that a lot of times we had to jump in and out of, you know, we jumped into uniform. Right. You know, whatever. Got patrol guys collared up. There was the sectors, you know, a bunch of sectors knocked out. You got to suit up and do it. Or whatever. You were finishing up before the 12 if you didn't have a collar or whatever. They'd add, you know, yeah, anybody looking to hang on the midnight. And we were all gung-ho. Yeah, I also worked the midnight. And, yeah, you know. I haven't had enough of this shit. <laughs> I want to do another tour. Mm -hmm. I love this shit. Everybody either, either fell asleep or had a collar. We were out there, you know. Well, that's and, the crazy thing about midnights is that if you don't work midnights steady, I think I forget the exact hour. It's either three or four. You just pass out. Yeah. You, you fall asleep just because you're on a day schedule. And you just yeah, well, can't little, stay awake. Well, a little gunfire usually wakes you up around 4.30 when the club's yeah. left. <laughs> you know? As they're going for to have, they're going for the after the bar's closed meal, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, that was the thing, too. Like you said, like a quiet Sunday morning. Some of the most busiest times were Sunday morning. Just driving into work when the clubs are letting out. Yeah. Isn't that and, crazy? <laughs> and, and, and you know, I'm just just thinking of that. One, I remember stories just sitting uh, coming out of the precinct. It was a midnight. It was like five thirty in the morning, and I was parked. Uh, it's parked by the Africa House, which is a club in uh, on Snyder Avenue in Bedford in, in the six seven. And as we're sitting there, we get a job, you know, and uh, you know the central comes over holding seventy seven jobs in the six seven and handle a dispute, you know, that came in at noon. On Martens and Nostrand, and I'm like, it's 5:30 in the morning. Somebody called 911, 12, whatever hours ago, and now we're going to this job. And as the, as we're next to the Africa House, you hear the gunfire start start uh, you know uh, going off, and you look across the street, and there's four four hands out the window of a car with he's got a gun, you know, shooting rounds in the air. Shit. Now we got, um, you know. The people coming out of the club, they see us in the car. What do they do? They run to the car. Now we have a sea of humanity on the car. They're trying to, you know, break the door, pound the window, trying to climb into the to the car. <laughs> you know, it wasn't till they all like You're you know, capacity, sorry. You know, I'm trying to inch up the car, like trying to like start stop. I don't want to run anybody over, but I want them to fall off. And lo and behold, once the people get away from the car, um, they're still there, and. Boom, we hit the gas, we get a little pursuit. They were from out of town, so they didn't know where they were going. So we caught up with them and, uh, you know, it was a nice collar, but, you know, that's what happens in the middle of the night. So, you they know, you always- uh, They didn't hit anybody though, did they? No, no, it was just a recreational. recreational just letting off a little- shoot. Because when you think <laughs> about it, they, they really can't somewhere. go to a range with those illegal guns. Yeah, yeah. Well, not fair, you know? Right, yeah. <laughs> the great stuff. Did like go up on the roof of a housing project or, you know, yeah, we had a lot of clubs in the precinct. So that always brought, um, you know, you had your time. It was like really not busy, busy until four or five o'clock in the morning. Right. And then. Uh, but with those clubs, you can also get beef from one part of Brooklyn to another part of Brooklyn. Right, yeah. From Manhattan, came to Brooklyn yeah. to settle a beef in this club, right? You get, you get that kind of shit. Yeah. Yeah. That's where, that's where, you know, there's a lot of violence with that kind of stuff. Yeah. I used to love when people would, you know, we, we'd have it at 2 3 where people would throw a huge party in their apartment in the housing project. And right. people would come from all over. And of course, some shit's going to happen. 
Yeah. Someone gets dissed. Someone from Brooklyn. Weird how that happens, right? You know? Yeah. They didn't like the Brooklyn fronts. Remember those gold teeth? Oh, to yeah. On? Well, that's the, the thing. You know, used to see the flyers up in the neighborhood, you know, whatever they called it. Dollarama, gun in a baggy party, all these crazy parties they would have, you know, and... Uh, uh, another quick story about about the club scene is that um, at the time we had uh, our CEO was Captain Deadly who put me into anti-crime. Great guy. Um, when he first came to the precinct, he, he was like, uh, he was uh, astonished at the amount of violence in these clubs. So he decided to get us guys in anti-crime and a couple of like snoo guys. And we did a little, uh, we got a little team together and we went out. Uh, hammering it, hammering these clubs on a night, uh, this this one night. You know, we were towing cars and right. writing summonses and all this other stuff. And uh, well, these clubs did these clubs have uh, liquor licenses? Uh, some did. Some were just illegal clubs. Right, they were just rooms or converted, you know, storefronts and stuff. And um, so we had, you know, we had grabbed that maybe, you know. We started at six o'clock at night, probably by about midnight. Maybe we had three or four guns, you know, guys. You know, we used to have things hooked up with some of the bounces. You know, you could see guys getting turned away and they give us a little signal. Or you could watch guys walking off, hiding the gun. We picked up a few guys, nothing crazy. Right. Well, the captain was getting a little bit, man, I got all these guys in and I was hoping for something to happen. And and uh, I said, like, take it easy. It's only, Cap, it's only <laughs> four, four in the morning. Because some guys are still in the barbershop, some of these yeah. guys. They'll be out soon. So me and my uh, my main partner, Chris Higgins, uh, we work together for most of our time in crime. And he, he's the greatest uh, street cop I ever worked with. But we went out on a little uh, you know, drive around the neighborhood. And we ran it up to this club on Rogers Avenue called the Spare Wheel Disco and Lounge. You know, it was about the size of like a, a garage, you know, a regular. Did you have garage. your hair blown back and you were in your disco clothes or what? I'm sorry, what's that? I said, did you have your hair blown back and were you wearing your disco shoes or what? No, 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 no. <laughs> a usual, you know, green army jacket and baseball. Oh, you were wearing the anti-crime uniform? Yes. The only thing I used to get pissed off about was when someone wore a football jersey. I'd be like, do you not want to make a collar? Keep yeah. wearing that fucking football jersey. Uh, yeah. Don't ever wear a football jersey again. You know, so what happened is anyhow, we passed this club and there's a couple of guys shooting, you know, shooting up in the air out front of the place. They see us and they run into the club and we go running into the club after them and guys are climbing out windows and all that. We want to get like 18 guns out of this place. Oh, shit. It's just this one little, like I said, it was the size of a normal like garage. You know, it was just you and your partner. Side. I'm sorry, what's that? It was just you and your partner? Was you and your partner? And then the other guys in the task force, you know, we called the 85 and everybody came. And um, we were able to just lock up just a handful of those people, guys who had the guns still on them or we saw them toss them in that. But we were finding guns, you know, the toilet, coolers of beer and stuff like that. So, you know, it, it, it was great. By the end of the night, we had about, I, I would say, at least, you know, uh, two dozen guns, you know, 15, 20 cars, cars, tones, summonses, all, all types of shit, great shit went on. Why and, do you think, why do you think in the 6-7, I'm not sure, I mean, not just the 6-7 on the precincts back then, but why did people think they needed or could get away with carrying a gun? Um, well, there was a lot of things. First of all, guys always felt they needed to for protection, you know, for protection from the other bad guy. Um, and the other thing was a lot of clubs had uh, 
some of these, you know, uh, heavy players that were uh, bouncers there that would let certain guys in ba based on one faction, you know? So they weren't worried about getting caught. It wasn't like, uh, you know, they wouldn't get thrown out of the club. They'd go in there knowing that the people at the door would protect them. Right, right. You know? Well, but a crazy thing happened, just going back to that story, what happened that night is um, uh, Happy Land burned down that night. Oh, in the Bronx? In the Bronx. The 89 people dead, I think. Yeah, yeah. So the... Uh, so of course, you know, oh, how come these things go on? You know, who, 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 you know, how does these uh, places, you know, no license, all these people, there's, you know, the, where are the police and all this? So here we are, our little band of merry men and all our guns and collars. And, uh, you know, the captain got a good, uh, you know, good write up on it for him. Right. I remember after Happy Land, the police department's response to that was just to check all the social clubs they had in their precinct. Yeah, that yeah. was illegal, and then just visit them. I was, I mean, that was there. They didn't really do anything, right? Not till years later did they come up with the uh, nuisance abatement. Where I remember mm -hmm. a, a club or a bar could have fights, stabbing, sh shootings, and no one would ever go after their liquor license. But then, of course, no, that was like, you know, in Brooklyn, you got to, you know, you, you had an illegal club, maybe you get arrested. In Manhattan, you lost your license, you know. Right. And what, what, what's worse? You know, that's why a lot of these guys just say, I got to pay my taxes once in a while, meaning that they had to take a collar once in a while. Right, right. So, yeah, no, but in minute, I know that, you know, once it hit the Comstat era, if bars had any kind of fights or yeah, things, right, yeah. they, they, they would take, you know, they would give them a nuisance abatement. Some right. Yeah, then they started doing the padlock places with yeah. the mural and stuff like that. Yeah. And that's when the owners of these clubs started paying attention. You know? Right, yeah. Yeah, crazy shit. And I saw some of you on what you wrote um, that you guys made 323 gun collars. Was that in a year? No, that was actually, that was my number. I, I always remembered the number because um, I, my wife's car was a Mazda 323 and I used to drive back and forth. So I had, when I got to Rip, I think I checked through the book and looked through all the collars and those, they, I wasn't always the AO in those cases. But those were like a Chris Bader gun collar. Or later on, when we worked with another great guy, Richie Bergen, um, you know, we were all looking to make, make a arrest. It wasn't like uh, I made the arrest every day. You know, it was me. It was Richie. It was Chris. It was Will Gallagher. It was Marty Mullen. You know, everybody yeah. got got you know, you know, had a collar. So um, that was like a total of my anti-crime career. Wow, the three, that's, three, a, that's uh, an impressive three, number. You know. Yeah, it was, um, like I said, it was nights like that where you got 15 guns or four guys in a car. You know, there was there was a lot of guns. And, How was the uh, Brooklyn DA's office in drawing up these gun towers? Um, Some good, but mostly not so good. You know, it was like, you know, it is, we were down there uh, going to the grand jury so often, um, and you didn't always get the cooperation. It was like, you know, they looked at, like, the bulge or the furtive movement as like, you know, something akin to like Bigfoot, you know? Yeah. Oh, let me guess, another bulge or, you know, whatever. And yeah, you know, there, there, there's guys that have bulges. There's guys that, you know, we weren't dealing with the Brooklyn law. We were dealing with the criminal procedure law that, right. you, know, you know, you know, reasonable suspicion and when we could stop people. They kept changing that and they wanted to say, you know, everything a bulge is no good. You have to see the handle or, 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 or the barrel or, or the shape of a gun in somebody's pants. And it's just... 
ridiculous. You know, I'm not going to. They also in Brooklyn back then, or maybe it was even before that. A lot of the uh, people from the Caribbean would have the gun with the wire going through the barrel. Yes, yes, and yes, attached to like the coat hanger that was shaped like a big U. They right. put the barrel in there and they put the other clip in there. Yeah, guys had all that type of stuff. Guys and a lot of guys um, would wear um, like a belt around their upper chest and stick the gun up here. Um, you know, so there was all types of ways to try to uh, beat the search, so to speak. There was Brooklyn creativity back then. Yeah, well, you, know, <laughs> you got to survive, right? That's great. So let me ask you about, you know, people always want to hear about the uh, exciting things like the gunfights and stuff. And you had two combat crosses, right? Yes. Did you get one of them in anti-crime or both? One I did with the, it was me and, and Chris Higgins, yes. And what, what happened with that? Um, actually, I just I had I have a little uh, one of the nine one one tapes from it, but but I don't know if it even come across if I could play it. But what happened was is that um, we were on you know anti-crime patrol, me and me and Chris, and it was a cold January night, and um, a couple of rookies were on a foot post. I mean, you could tell they were rookies. They were actually out there at o'clock <laughs> at night, you know, when it's like zero degrees out. It was a January night. But um, a, a person ran up to him and said, I just got robbed. That guy over there um, robbed me. He's got a gun. So they get on the radio and they put it over the radio. And um, we hear it. We jump on it. And now we're coming over to where they are. And they're giving the direction of where the perp's going. They're a little bit off. They knew they didn't know you know, east from west or whatever. And anyhow, we get to the scene where we see them. They're, they're maybe a, a block away and they're pointing down the block. And it's the only one guy walking um, on the street. So um, what we do is we take off in the crime car. Chris is driving. I jump out, um, and which we've done a thousand times. But we always knew what each other was doing for the most part. You know something, you know? Mike? That That is so great because that – is how mm -hmm. anti-crime cops talk to each other. Let me out. And then they'll cut the guy off at the car. Right. So that, that was the plan, like I said, depending on who was driving or whatever. Yeah. I come up on foot. And you almost know instinctively to do that right. without even talking to your partner. Right. I mean, we, we, we like I said, we were like, uh, we knew everything each other was doing. So, right. so what happens is, is I get out, and I'm coming up behind the guy, and Chris mounts the sidewalk in front of him, and I run up behind the guy, and I try to put him up against the hood and the guy's a big guy I mean like big like six foot you know well over six foot tall and he's a burly guy yeah and I you know I'm trying to, in Manhattan we'd say he was cock diesel <laughs> yes yes <laughs> so where, where um you know so I'm struggling with the guy yelling please please stop don't move don't move he's not having it and I reach around like his his uh, neck, try to. I'm up on his back and I'm, I'm hitting him with the gun. I'm trying anything to try to get him under control. And I'm trying to grab him around the neck, and he reaches to his pocket. And he pulls a pistol out. Oh shit! And as I got him around the neck, he pops around, um, and it, and it like uh, shoots off my wrist, and I start shooting him. Chris is out, and now the guy shoots Chris. He's got the gun pointed across the hood. You know. The hood and now we're both shooting at him and the guy eventually falls even a couple of patrol guys pulled up and fired a couple of shots so the guy wouldn't wouldn't fall he didn't fall down and he kept squeezing the gun and would say one thing that saved us is that he only had two live rounds in the gun wow 
Um, so we fired uh, two. Uh, two did he miss the last? Did he miss the last range cycle for the? Yeah, something the must have happened. I think he <laughs> he had a pr previous, you know, whatever. They didn't give him his new box. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, that was it, and it was it was just crazy, you know. And I said I was just like listening to the tape when I was looking through some of my stuff. It's like you think about it, you know. I mean, we were, you know, when Chris came around in the front of the car and. The guy fired around and whipped the pistol. We were, it was the three of us, like, in like hand to hand. To hand. Yeah, yeah. And, and how he, the perp didn't hit us and how we didn't shoot each other. That's what I was wondering. Mm -hmm. I, did Chris almost shoot you? Yeah, I, I, it, it, was, it, was, it was a miracle. And, you know, I talked yeah, to the, did the perp. Did the perp die? Yes, yes. Okay. <clears throat> so, who uh, was he? Did, when did you find out after his demise who he was? Yes. I mean, what was his criminal history and all of that? Um, he was um, he was a Jamaican guy, you know, but no uh, no known record, which doesn't usually, you know, doesn't always surprise, uh, you know, because some guys have come in, you know, whatever, you know, maybe they come in for a job to do a job and leave. Guys were, you know, there was nothing really that I remember that came up. Uh, was that was that common in the six seven that? Someone would come there, do a hit, and fly back to Jamaica. Yeah, sort of like a gangster thing, you know. Yeah. People, you know guys would do that, and it would. That come... happened a lot in Washington Heights, where a guy would come from the Dominican Republic, right. whack right. somebody, get on the next flight back to the Dominican. Yeah, I mean, the, the Jamaican guys were, were were known for that kind of stuff too, and from other states, they. And you know what? The, the you know the system didn't really. You could you know you could say your name is Bill Cannon and. If you get arrested, you know, it's not till your prints come back and all that other stuff. Right, and, right. You know, that we can really say, no, that's not Bill Cannon, that's so and so, that's this guy. He's, but he uses many names. So, but this guy was uh, not really on uh, any sort of radar. You Did know? you get grazed from the shot across your wrist? Yes, just slightly, uh, you know, nothing crazy, you know. Uh, but Chris, you know, Chris had actually powder burns in his, in his eyes. Um, and I mean, that's how close we are with the guns flying, you know, uh, and the bullets flying all over the place, you know. That's crazy. Um, yeah, it was a crazy thing. And even the guys pulling all the other cops on the scene that witnessed it, you know, were like, oh, my God, I can't believe you guys aren't in dead. And, you know, it, it was um, it was just one of those things. You know, like I said, I was just listening to the tape saying, you know what, you think about, um, you know, man, that was the last words. Like, you know, you listen to, you know. The tape as it leads up to the shooting, say, man, that could have been the last. That's, that's the kind of thing that uh, you know when they talk about cops having PTSD. That's the kind of thing that you know you could wake up in the middle of the night reliving that thing. You know. Yeah. Well, you know, it's you know you don't really think about that type of stuff, but when you you know you go back and like actually somebody was showing me the uh, I don't know it was some sort of video. I don't even know where it came from, but I think it was. It was Officer Malkin from the Bronx and his partner in a radio call shortly before they got involved. In, right. you know, so like, yeah. And they're listening to tune on the radio and like everything's everything, everything's great. And then boom, a second later, uh, you know, it could just be gone, you know? Yeah. So. That's all it takes, right? Yeah. And yeah. then, so that was your, that was your first comeback. That was my second, actually. Oh, that was your second. What, what? First one, I think we talked about the last time when I got shot in the vest. Um, yeah, I think yeah. I was on patrol at that time, and that's what um, actually that's what got me into anti-crime. I mean, I was an act pretty active guy on uh, 
uh, on patrol, hoping to go to anti-crime. But after I had got gotten shot the first time with that, you know, in the vest and that thing, uh, Captain De Dever told me the next spot's yours if you want it. That's great. So I jumped on it. You Did know? you work with Mike Ryder? Uh, he was a little before me. Okay, yeah, I went to he's Buffalo. One of the guys, you, he's I one of the guys you, college with him. Yeah. <laughs> he's one of the guys you wanted to be, you know, when you came to the command and you were on patrol. He's a real tough guy. Yeah, but well, we had a lot of ass-kicking guys in that command. Yeah. Even guys that didn't go to anti-crime, they were, you know, they were, you know, they were street cops and they loved the collar and go out there and do the right thing. They were a really great group of guys we had over there. And usually uh, what people don't understand is that in a real busy command, the cops are tight. Yes. And, and they back up, up other cops like crazy, where in a slow command, they just sometimes they don't get it, you know. Right. Yeah. No, we had a great group of guys during that mid-80s to the mid-90s, you know. 85 to 95, let's say we had a really, and we, we, we still get together. We have, well, now with the, with the uh, Wuhan, we haven't been able to have a reunion. Yeah. Doesn't that suck, man? It's like this whole, yeah. it's like you're sort of stuck in your house, even though, you know, you can go out here and there, but you can't do the things you want to do. You can't travel. You can't I know. really go to many restaurants. You go to a restaurant, you want, they want you to sit outside with the carbon monoxide from the cars, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's nuts. So, so and then eventually, um, you you want to move on from anti-crime to your rip career? Um, you got some more stuff to tell us about anti-crime. <laughs> well, one th one thing I could uh, well one I'll tell one anti-crime story that sort of leads into rip, which is which is pretty cool, and it's it's actually my, my I want to say it's probably my uh, my favorite uh, or top three arrests. Uh, we were driving around anti-crime and we saw you know young young woman walking down the street she's like wobbling her eyes all blown out and we're trying to ask her what happened and the, the, the woman was so nice she didn't even know we were the police you know and you know a couple of the knuckleheads on the corner had to say they're cops tell her what happened tell her what happened you know and she's like oh okay you know and she said that she got robbed at gunpoint and, and they took a purse and I right, get in the car we whip around and we start riding around uh, the area looking for you know, she tells us it's a guy and a, a guy and a girl. So we're riding around, we're looping around, and boom, there's the guy and the girl walking down the street. She screams, "That's them! That's them!" We jump out, we chase them. Now they run into this. Um, uh, well, we we could call it a house of worship, but not really. It was uh, like a black Israelite, uh, some faction of the Yahweh type um, building on Clarkson in, in East Fifty First Street. Uh -huh. What it really was, it was like something out of, uh, you know, uh, uh, what was it Fagan or Oliver Twist? And it was stick up guys. Oh, it was a school for criminals. Guys, you know, stick up guys who would uh, recruit and sometimes by force younger people into doing arm um, stick ups. Um, so, anyhow, we run in, we, we, you know, and we ran in, and that was like a no no for, you know, it's a sensitive location. The job, everybody was afraid of that place, you know, because you know, it was uh, politically, you know, connected or whatever. And, but anyhow, we ran in there, we grabbed. They could say, they could say you desecrated this religious institute. Right, right. But whatever, you know, we ran in, we grabbed the, the, the guy and the girl, and we grabbed the gun. They had a nice Smith, uh, that was a nice Smith uh, 9, you know. One thing, people always had nice guns in the 6 7, you know. Yeah. You know, I mean, some guy, you know, you, you come across your, like, your Ravens or your Saturday Night Specials, but. They had a lot of nice guns, you know. Meanwhile, we're running around with the 
with a weapon that pretty much was the same gun used to fight Indians 200 years before. <laughs> you know, inside the four-inch Smith and Wesson. Right, but these guys are running around with Glock 10s and 40 cows. I think they first went to, in 92, they gave us nines. And it was just the anti-crime and the yeah, sword. Yeah, yeah. right? I never got one, so. You never got a nine? No, I never got a nine. You stayed with the 38 your whole career? Yes, I did, yeah. You had all these gunfights with a 38. Yeah, it, well, it always went off, you know, yeah. you know. But uh, um, so anyhow, what happens is we grab a man, great collar, and all that, and we get back and I speak to the victim, and she says, "Did you find my pocketbook?" No, we didn't. Well, it had, I think she said it had like four thousand dollars in it. It was four thousand dollars. What the hell are you doing with that kind of money? Well, you know, I worked all summer at McDonald's and I was saving it. I was putting it in the bank. I, I needed money. I had it. I want to go to college and I, I couldn't get in. So I, I had to save all this money all summer to go to college. Now I'm like, oh, what? We got to get this girl's money. Yeah. You know? So now by the time all this, this stuff is the smoke's cleared, the hoopla, the pursuit and all that back, about an hour is gone at least. So we asked our two uh, guests at the time, the, 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 the young couple, what happened? Oh, we threw it on the street. I don't know what you're talking about. And they weren't giving anything up. So I said, the hell with it. I shot up there and I started riding around. And I see a pocketbook hanging on the fence post. You know, sort of in the same area where, where you know, where we found the girl, where the knuckleheads were on the corner. And they're standing there. And I'm like, hey, good looking out, fellas. You know, you know, you let, you know, a young girl get beat like that. And Rob, you know, you know. And they're like, hey, we mind our own business type shit and all that. And, uh, so I pick up the, uh, the pocketbook. And I reach in, and there it is, the envelope. And it had, still had $4,000 Look at these guys. You should have paid a little more attention. And there's four Gs in that, that envelope. Wow. I went back to the precinct, and that girl, man, she cried. And uh, it, it was special, you know? And I, I mean, I never spoke to her really after that again. I mean, it was over and done. But that's one thing about patrol. It was pretty much over and done with but. I hope she went to, I hope she became a doctor or something, you know? Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's a great story.